Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the second teaching of this year. Thank you once again for 2023 and just the start and, and the privilege of life. I thank you for all we are set to learn this year. I thank you for the book of Timothy and of First Timothy to be more specific and all we learned last week. I thank you for all we are set to cover in today's teaching. And Lord, I ask that even as we go through your word, there is clarity. I pray that the truth of your word shines forth into our hearts. I pray that we're able to apply it to our day-to-day lives. I pray that you are glorified through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Journey Through the Epistles, part something. <laughs> it's 80 something. I know it's 80 something. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited as I usually am. This is the highlight of perhaps my week, definitely my Saturdays. And I'm glad to feed off that same energy from you all. Um, we are continuing right where we stopped. Last week, we started um first timothy for everyone that's joining for the first time welcome 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 um this is journey through the epistles and what we've done is for the past two years yes two years not two months um we started january 2021 every saturday we go through the epistles specifically book by book chapter by chapter verse by verse trying to make sense of what it says with the assumption or the the motivation for this for this uh, journey is that if a believer can at least be comfortable with the epistles then a huge part of their christian theology should be sorted out a huge part of the understanding of christianity should be in place and we said that for many reasons you can listen to the very first teaching we did january something 2021 um but very very quickly um one of the reasons is that no other part of the bible directly do you identify most with the audience right if you think about the torah the torah was given to israelites that lived some four thousand years ago probably in the wilderness or in in the middle east learning to to live as a society you are not an israelite in the middle east two thousand years ago and so while there's a lot you can learn there's still a lot of interpretation that needs to be done uh, or we talk about maybe the prophets, for instance, um, written to an established civilization of Israel. Again, some 3,000 no, 3, years uh, rebelling against God. Hopefully, <laughs> you are not a, re- a rebel against God. <laughs> and so there's still a lot to learn, but there's a lot of interpretation. But when we get into the epistles, they were written directly to believers. And so I believe for the most part that almost everyone listening to this whether live or on the podcast at least believes in the gospel of jesus that he died and rose from the dead and so in that sense even though you might not be in the same environment or maybe belong to a church or personally struggling with some of the issues paul highlights the audience is still an audience that you can relate with and so as far as interpretation goes in my opinion this is one of the easiest parts of the bible to read which is why 
usually recommend actually um you start with the gospels or you start with maybe romance in, in an easy translation uh not only that the other reason is because in the epistles we see what the apostles taught the early church if christianity is really a religion that is taught matthew 28 go into the world and make disciples of every nation teaching them to observe and so in the very message of the spread of christianity is something that needs to be taught and so if all your life as a christian like oh i'm saved but i have not been taught then this is this is why we this is why you need this right we see directly firsthand what the apostles what the church in acts 2 42 they give themselves continually to prayer to the breaking of bread to fasting and to the apostles doctrine to the apostles doctrine the church of god christianity as a whole is built on everything jesus taught his disciples to teach the church and the disciples are not here anymore how do we have access to that teaching we look to the epistles we look to the epistles we look to the epistles and i'm sure for many of us that have been here let's say if you are some of the ogs that have been here since the very first episode should i call names should i make their heads swell <laughs> someone like bookie or maybe mommy and that you've been there <laughs> for a while now we've we've covered so many topics so many topics that you probably need to even listen again just to remind yourself even if you joined maybe just a couple months ago we've covered a lot and what i what i promised everyone at the start was that if we can go through this journey there should be no topic in christianity that we've not at least explored a bit maybe not exhaustively because this is not a seminary or um yeah it's not a seminary but at least to have a healthy way about how to think about these things we've talked oh my god we've talked about the gospel we've talked about righteousness by faith we've talked about baptism we've talked about communion we've talked about head coverings we've talked about what we've talked about perseverance in the saints we've talked about who god is who jesus is sovereignty and feel we've not even gone in depth we've talked about um gender roles in the church can women do this can men do this we've talked about marriage we've talked about food <laughs> what have we not talked about at this point um and there's still we still have some ways to go right this year by god's grace we should uh go on with first timothy second timothy titus second corinthians uh revelation maybe quickly just wrap up jude and second peter together before someone drags me and then we end in romans so that's the plan for this year by god's grace and so if you're just joining us or you've recently joined us i would really really want to implore you that you make up time um even while you join us live to catch up especially teachings we did in galatians very foundational teaching ephesians colossians hebrews even if it's just those four books and then when you have time you can go into first corinthians i guarantee there's a lot to learn and to be reminded of and i'm sure it has been a blessing to everyone that has been a part so thank you everyone for being with me on this long very long journey <laughs> even as we're starting to see the end so last week we we started with first timothy and we we talked a bit about like an introduction to the book who is writing of course paul who is he writing to uh, he's writing to me <laughs> he's writing to timothy right 
a disciple, a mentor, a son, a mentee rather, a son in the faith and he is sending him or he has just sent him on a ministerial assignment to go put things in order in the church in Ephesus. And to do that or in addition to the instructions he probably mentioned before he sent him, he sends him a letter that this is what I'm sending you to do and this is why you should do it. And honestly, I'm just grateful to God that in providence and in God's wisdom, Paul knew enough to document many of these things. Imagine if imagine if it was FaceTime, there were phone calls. We might not have anything to study. Say, ah, Timothy Alpha, you are in this church. Uh-huh. This and this and this are the things you should remember. And that's it. No more, <laughs> no more first Timothy. But again, and I'm going to probably talk more about this in Romans. Um, it's a bit complicated, but it goes again to the wisdom and the sovereignty of God, even as regards the timing of things. How the gospel first spread in a time where things had to be written down. Think about it. It was 2023. The gospel was written. Well, at least there'll probably be video evidence. There'll be TikTok. They're like, hey, hey guys, I'm just tuning in right now from First Timothy. Sorry, from Ephesus, the gospel prevails. Paul's IG. Follow me on Instagram. That's Paul speaking. Underscore Apple slash or <laughs> or Peter slash Waterman. Um, <laughs> that's how it would have been. So maybe there would have been more information, but at least we have enough to uh, to to understand and to even verify to a large extent what we can trust to be the message of Christ. And so what I said was, as we go through First Timothy, whether or not you're called to active pulpit ministry, as long as you belong to a body, to the body of Christ, you're going to learn what in terms of emphasis what is strong on paul's mind what should a good church look like or what marks a body even in the world in the society a body of christ right in the society they exist in what makes a good pastor what makes a good congregation what are the things that god expects to see in his body so those are some of the things we're going to talk about and last week we started to talk about how Timothy was supposed to address or engage false teachings. We talked about any doctrine or any message that doesn't necessarily build up. If it's just for argument's sake, oh, what did Jesus write on the sand while he was waiting for the people to stone her? I know, I know. Say, no, I don't know. I don't believe. What is the point? <laughs> what does that do to your Christian experience? Yes, maybe for, as a theological exercise, you could you could stretch yourself in some of these things. But like we said last week, the message of Christ is supposed to stir up love, good conscience, and sincere faith. We talked about that in 1 Timothy 1 verse 5. We talked a bit about genealogies and what the law is supposed to be used for. I know we had a, bit of, a lot of questions last week. I hope for those that had questions or needed reminders, you were able to catch up or are still catching up on Galatians. Like I said, if you have any questions, um, always feel free to reach out to me throughout the week. That's what I spend most of my time online doing anyway. So feel free to send me a VN, send me a message. Um, I'll put my information in the chat as we go on through the course of today's teaching. We talked about how the law was supposed to expose sin. Um, something to highlight in your Bible, First Timothy 1.9. The law is not made for a righteous person. And so we talked a bit about that and a couple other things as well. Today we are starting or we are continuing right off the bat. First Timothy 1 verse 12. 
So turn your Bibles, get out your notepads, your writing materials. 1 Timothy 1 verse 12. Let's go through the word. As usual, I'm reading from the NKJV. Amen? Amen. All right. 1 Timothy 1 verse 12. It says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. I love this verse for obvious reasons. <laughs> I thank Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And there's there's a couple things we can we can pick out from this verse. The first one is what God or Jesus has enabled him. Jesus has enabled him. I was talking to a friend um, sometime this week and just encouraging her about ministry. And this was one of the first things that every minister of the gospel should realize. If God has asked you to do a work, then it follows by implication that he has enabled you to do that work. Everyone God calls, at the point God says go, all he requires is that you trust him every step of the way. The ability or the grace, like we usually call it, to get it done is in the, the, the commission or in the assignments itself. And so he says it that what God enabled me. So for someone here that God has probably asked, do this. And you're wondering, ah, <laughs> do what? <laughs> so it cannot be me. He says, send my brother because he is more eloquent than I. The word of the Lord to you today is that what? God has enabled you. God has enabled you. In the assignment is the grace to do so. Is the grace to do so. All God asks is that you trust him. And so for instance, the moment God says to Peter, or Jesus says to Peter, come when he was on water, the ability to respond was there. All he needed was faith. All he needed was faith. He didn't say, ah, what are the mechanisms of walking on water? I don't think I'm wearing the right shoes. Ah, is this salt water or fresh water? How fast should I walk? How slow should I? Oh, no. He simply responded by faith. And the ability to walk on water was already present in that instruction. If God says, start this. If God says, do this. The ability to do so is in the instruction. All you need is faith. All you need is to trust him and run with that word. Again, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me. Who has enabled me. He goes on. He says, because he counted me faithful. Something else to pick up as regards ministry. He says, he counted me faithful. And I'm going to talk about this in 1 Timothy 3. Um, just ruffle a few feathers and just talk about that phrase. Like I said last time, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. There is a sense in which I understand what that phrase is trying to say and it's true. But there's also a sense in which God calls the qualified. Right? Um, here we, saw, we see that God counted Paul faithful. God counted Paul faithful. And, and if there's anything you need to realize as far as ministry is concerned on your part, as far as your part in ministry is concerned, 
is faithfulness. Ministry flows from faithfulness because at the end of the day, what does it mean to minister? The word literally means to serve. The word means to serve, to serve. And if you are serving, the example of a waiter, what is your only job? It is that whatever the people ask for, you give it to the waiter, I'm sorry, to the chef. And whatever the chef cooks, you bring it to the people. In a sense, you're not really doing much. You are simply a, a conduit between the chef and the, how to say, the audience. <laughs> and the guests, the dinner guests or the brunch guests or whoever they may be. It's faithfulness that whatever God asked you to do, that is what you are doing. A lot of times we are tempted to benchmark ministry on success. And success is a good thing because like we're going to see in chapter 2, the goal is actually salvation. God wants all men saved. And so if in ministry people are getting saved and discipled, it's a good thing and it's something to be excited about. But again, ministry is first and foremost faithfulness before it is results it is first and foremost are you doing what god has asked you to do we've talked about this in first corinthians 1 2 and 3 at length are you doing what god has asked you to do in matthew 25 21 he says you say to me well done thou good and successful servant you have saved souls you have discipled the nations now enter into my rest is that what he said no he said well done good and faithful servant you've done what i asked you to do in second timothy 2 verse 2 when paul is again writing to timothy about choosing leaders and he says the same things i've taught you commit them unto eloquent men who would also be able to teach others or commit them unto good looking men who will be able to teach others he says no what commit them unto faithful men thank god some can fulfill all three <laughs> I'm just teasing. Commit them unto faithful men. Faithful men. Why? Because the message must be preserved. And so what we need as a defining character is their faithfulness. Will they stick to that message when it's comfortable, when it's not? Will they be able to handle the word of God even when the audience don't want to listen? That's the mark of a good teacher. Commit to faithful men. Faithful men. Faithful men. I was telling this, this lady when we we're talking about ministry, I said, for instance, you look at Jeremiah. A lot of us now today were like, oh, Jeremiah, what a man of God. What a man of God. People are naming their kids, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, hey, the weeping prophet. But if you remember and you read, if you read Jeremiah, if you read Lamentations, a big part of Jeremiah's ministry was that the people did not listen to him. In fact, the highlight of Jeremiah's ministry is that the more and more it people People shut him down. They didn't want to hear. And so if it's by result, the more Jeremiah spoke to Israel, Israel did not listen. So much so that the king, that he probably, he, he burned the entire scroll. He said, take this man away. I don't want to hear what he has to say. And so if it was by results, Jeremiah does not necessarily, wasn't a successful um, prophet or preacher in that sense. In fact, the very story of Israel is that God kept sending men to Israel and Israel kept rejecting them. He said, you will kill some, you will stone some, you will insult, abuse. In that sense, they were not successful from the world's perspective, but they were faithful. Jeremiah will go down as one of Israel's leading prophets because he was faithful to the work. 
in tears, in lamentation, literally, and in the book. He was faithful to what God gave him to do. And that is the heart of a minister. Every time you ask yourself, what has God asked me to do? Ministry starts from the will of God. What, has, what, what is God's will for these people? And what has he told me to do? Is that what I'm doing? That's faithfulness. That's faithfulness. And so Paul says that God enabled me because he counted me faithful. Hence, he put me into the ministry. He put me into the ministry. Let that be your testimony as well. That God has enabled me because he counted me faithful and he has given me this assignment. Should be your testimony. That should be your, your, your manifesto. God has enabled me because he counted me faithful and he put me into ministry. He put me into ministry. Amen. Let's go into the next, the next, uh, the next verse. Sorry, I changed my translation. <laughs> Give me a second. Okay, I'll tell you people use NLT today. <laughs> it says, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So he acknowledges that, ah, he said, if you knew me then, if you knew, he says, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly. Does that mean what he did was not wrong? Of course not. Um, that's exactly what he's saying. That yes, I might look like, oh, I'm Paul the Apostle, Paul that labors more than all. But I have a past too. I mean, we talked about that last picture. But it says, I was a best, I was a blast, I was a persecutor. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. What he's saying is that he's not saying what he did was not wrong. He's simply saying that the reason he was in a position where he could be saved was because in his heart he was doing it out of ignorance. Remember what we've talked about about people and the difference between people who have willingly set themselves against the revelation of God. We've talked about them, about like the Pharisees. We're going to talk about them at length when we talk about Pharaoh. We're going to talk about it when we get to Romans 1. People that despite the revelation of God have willingly chosen to stand against God and his work. That is not what we are talking about. That's, that, that one many times the response is that God will give you unto yourself. But Paul was not in that category. That's what he's trying to say. It's the same thing Jesus said when he was on the cross, right? Father, Father, forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they are doing. They don't know what they are doing. They don't know what they are doing. And so, despite the atrocity that was committed on that cross, if any Roman soldier, even the one that stabbed him, <laughs> if he says, ah, truly this was the son of God and changes his mind, God will rush welcome them in god would rush to welcome them in and so yes there is there is that distinction that this was not something that paul was intentionally working against against god he actually thought he was serving god i mean think about it this was a devout pharisee a jew raised to believe in moses and some sort of physical messiah and all of that and all of a sudden you're saying jesus is god in his mind that that, that is heret that's blasphemy 
and he thought he was serving God. It's the same thing Paul talks about the, the people of Israel, right? Where he says that he testifies that they have a zeal for God. Romans 10 verse 2. But it's not according to knowledge. It's not according to knowledge. It's very possible to do things and think, oh wow, I'm serving God. I am doing well for the God. And say, ah, Father, forgive them. <laughs> May that not be as say, Father, just forgive them. But they don't know what they are doing. I look back at some of the things I taught uh, in my earlier days in, in Christianity slash ministry, and I'm like, wow, Father, forgive me. But I do not know. What I did not know what I was saying. <laughs> I did not know what I was saying. And it's that same mercy we should extend. Even when we hear believers that maybe haven't been exposed or been privileged to be exposed to the truth as you have, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are saying. We talked about that, right, last week when we made the distinction between false teachers and false teachings. And I think even in our interpersonal relationships, it's something we can learn from that um, when we, like, in just responding to the actions, hi, Victor, good to see you. Um, in responding to the actions of people, be patient enough to, to just even step back and say, this was perhaps not an intentional attempt to hurt me. And so I would, I would be a lot more calm in how I respond. Yes, I don't appreciate the action, but I recognize that at best, it's coming from a sincere place. And so my response would be to what? To simply just engage, communicate, that, oh, I, 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 I don't like what you did. Not, can you even imagine? <laughs> See what Toyosi said, and in Toyosi's mind, she was only trying to help. It's like, ah, I don't, I didn't know. I didn't. No, don't give me that. Uh, that's how all you people today <laughs> take advantage. Calm down. Calm down. Learn to, 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 to be kind enough to look beyond the actions of people and look into the motivations, look into the intentions. If it's an intentional attempt to, to actually slander or to hurt or to, that's different. There's a, there, there are many, there are better ways to handle that. You can, you can call it out. But if it was, it was unintentional, someone was only trying, they, they actually did not know that what they did would hurt you. Be a bit more forgiving. Be a bit kinder. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I've given you small relationship tip or small emotional emotional tip. Moving on. Say, so what did you learn? Today? I learned to be kinder to people because their motives might be sincere. All right. <laughs> All right. So that's that's your father. That's God. He says, I received mercy because Buki said thank you. You are welcome. On behalf of you and your boyfriend, you're welcome. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yes, you can actually. She, she was the one that communicated it to me. Um, <laughs> so, that is your father. It says, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And it says, the grace of God, <laughs> the grace of God was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. It says it's a faithful saying and worthy of all attendance, of all acceptance. Christ came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, this is a very, very interesting passage and I want us to look at it a bit. What does it look like Paul is saying? 
right? Or first glance, at first glance rather, it, it looks like it's saying that Paul is saying, I'm telling you guys, Christ came to save sinners and I, Paul, am the worst of them. Is that what he's saying? <laughs> this is why you are here. It's Bible study time. Abi, is that what he's saying? Yes and no. Yes and no. Why is that? He starts by saying it is a faithful saying. Meaning it's something everyone already knows. It's like saying, oh, it's a faithful saying. Uh, I want to say adulthood now. Scam. God forbid. It's not a scam for me. But it's something like that, right? I didn't come up with that phrase. It's something everyone already knows. Something everyone already knows. So for instance, in 1 Timothy 3 verse 1, Paul says, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good book. Meaning it's something that's already said. And he says, yes, this is a faithful saying. It's true. If someone desires to lead God's people spiritually out of a sincere heart, it's a good desire. It's a good desire. 1 Timothy 4 verse 9, Paul does the exact same thing. He says, um, bodily exercise profits little. Godliness is profitable unto all things. Having the promise of life, which is now is and is to come. He says, this is a faithful saying. It's a faithful saying. He might not be the one that came up with that, that statement. Bodily exercise profits little and uh, godliness is profitable unto all things. Rather, it's a faithful saying. It's a faithful saying. The same thing, 2 Timothy 2 verse 11. This is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. It's faithful saying. And it's worthy of all acceptance. So, when you read 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, where Paul says, Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. What Paul wants you to realize is that it doesn't just apply to Paul. It's a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. It applies to you as well. Every believer in a sense, it's a saying for everyone, that every believer should be able to make this statement. Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. And that changes it a bit because all of a sudden, you start to get the idea that the message there is not about the gravity of your past. I hope I'm making sense. That's not what Paul is emphasizing. Even though, yes, there is a sense in which, at least for Paul, maybe for some of you, the worst thing you did before you got serious is that you took your sister's pen. <laughs> I say, God, Christ came to save sinners of whom I have to say, what have you done? Chief of what? <laughs> but that's actually, it's, it's interesting that when you make that statement, I, Daniel, Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. The emphasis there is not in the gravity of what you did before you got saved. I believe that's clear. If it's a faithful saying that can be emulated and accepted by everyone, then it means the emphasis of that verse is not in the gravity in a sense. It's not in the human comparison, let me put it that way, of what you did that was wrong. Does that make sense? I'm still going to go on to explain. But does that make sense? Thumbs up if that makes sense, at least up to now. Okay? When you said no. So, 
Um, what part don't you understand? Okay. <laughs> Um, so, um, I don't really understand what you're trying to say, like, mm. uh, it's not a gravity, so it's like, is it like a generalization that everyone should use? Okay, yes, I'm going to go on to explain. So, yes, I'm saying, <clears throat> it is a saying that every Christian can adopt. That's what it means to say, this is a faithful saying, I hope they will accept that everyone can, can hold that statement to be true. And so, my point is simply this, that what paul is emphasizing in this verse is not necessarily a literal comparison of what you did before you got saved as much as it is a personal realization of the fact that you were once in sin and jesus saved you you personally that nothing you did was so grievous so far removed that god couldn't reach out and save you of course there's a sense in which for paul he did a lot of things like like we saw he blasphemed he maybe there was probably no one in paul's time that did more to hinder the growth of christianity than paul if this man had continued he might have single-handedly ended the church <laughs> did you get my point so in a sense for paul it is like he means it as well he had a horrible past ignorant or not he had a horrible, horrible past. And God came to save him. God came to save him. And like we're going to see in verse 16, it says, For this reason. Hold on. Okay. It says, For this reason I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus may show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And so Paul is reflecting on this and he says it is a faithful saying christ came to save sinners of whom i am chief and the fact that god saves me serves an example to everyone else that no matter what you have done <laughs> right i am a pattern that god can save you i'm a pattern that god has can save you too but like so Buki, to answer your question and Oye to answer your question as well. When Paul says it's a faithful saying worthy of acceptance, does that mean... So let's, let's think about it this way. Paul is, Paul is letting them know that every believer can hold on to this and say, Christ came into the world to save sinners. Christ came into the world to save sinners. At least I, th I, I believe everyone has, has that down. Of whom I have achieved. Paul is not necessarily... He's not comparing. He's not doing uh, <laughs> who has sinned more than me, who has not sinned more than me, right? In a sense, a few people would have probably sinned because when you understand that sin even goes beyond just doing the wrong thing, in the sense of standing against God's plan, Paul probably was number one, right? But I'm saying that there is also a sense in which every believer, which is why he's communicating it, every believer can look at their lives look at their lives and see God's willingness to save sinners. Not only that, look at verse 16 and use that as a motivation for communicating the gospel that if God could save me in my sins, he can save you too. That's the bigger message from this. If God can save me, of course, Paul is a pattern. 
but it applies to all of us as believers. Every believer should be able to say, God came to save sinners. God came to save sinners. And if God can save me, then he can save you too. That's 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 what I'm trying to emphasize. I don't know if that makes sense on you. So Paul is reflecting on his... Yes, so not necessarily the 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 gravity in that sense, but of course, if there the point there is clear to that, regardless of how deep, no one will probably know how deep you were in sin than yourself. And if God can say so, a prostitute can look at this and say, Wow, I lived my years in rebellion, I lived my years selling my body, and God still saved me. Therefore, that I have become a pattern. That anyone can look to my life and also say God can save them too. Me that I grew up in church. <laughs> and I have not seen the streets as much as maybe someone else might have. I can also still say that God looked upon me and regardless of my, uh, my upbringing, it doesn't matter. I was also still a sinner. And God can save you too. So it's, it's, it's more setting a pattern that if God can save A, he can save B. If God can save A, he can save B. What this should drive you to do is two things. Number one, reflect on Paul, for instance. That if God can save Paul, there's nobody God cannot save. But also reflect on your own life. That if God can save me, then I should have the confidence to extend that same message to everyone else. That God can save them too. So it's kind of like the, the textual interpretation and the application to your own life personally. So Kilichi is good to see you, sir. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> um, so yes, that that is I hope that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. It's a faithful scene worthy of all acceptance. For Paul is the eye. God came to save sinners of whom Paul is chief. And he's saying that for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first, Jesus might show all long suffering as a pattern. As a pattern. If God can forgive me, he can forgive anyone else. But anyone, any believer that has come to the knowledge of God can make this statement as well. That if God was able to save me, he can save you. He can save you. He goes on now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible to God who alone is wise. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Immortal, invisible. <laughs> Don't mind me. It says, this charge I commit to you, son, Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made to you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. By them you may wage what What does it mean from all we've read? To wage a good warfare. For Timothy, at least. It would mean to en enforce or to preserve the integrity of the message of the gospel in the church in Ephesus. And he says what? He says, according to the prophecies. According to the prophecies. He says, be faithful, hold on to doctrine, accuracy, establish the church, but run according to prophecies. What did we talk about? What did we say prophecies were when we did 1 Corinthians 14 and 12? What did we say prophecies were? It's the word prophetia again. It simply means inspired speaking. That means people moved by the Spirit of God had told Timothy, this and this is what God will do through you. Or this and this is what you should expect to see in Ephesus. And I think this is very beautiful because, again, we, we talk about it a lot, but it's a very big part of our Christian experience. The fact that God, 
uses prophecy to keep us in his will. God uses prophecy to remind us of his will, to reveal his will, and to encourage us through that journey. And as a believer, it's something you should have in your mind. God does not leave his children in the dark. We can and we should be carried and prepared by prophecy. You look at Genesis 18 verse 7, it says that, how will I do this thing and not tell my servant Abraham? And not tell my servant Abraham. That's the mindset that a believer should have. How would God do a thing and not tell me? Or at least tell my church, tell my body, if it concerns us, how will God not tell us? How In Acts 11, 27 to 28, there was a famine coming. It says, Agabus spoke up. There's a famine coming and the Gentile church was able to send funds. That's where the, origi- the origination of that term, send funds. They sent funds to the church in Jerusalem so that they would not starve. They were prepared by prophecy. The same thing with John. The same thing with Jesus. Prepared by prophecy. Prepared by prophecy. The same thing in 1 Kings 18. God tells Elijah that there will be no rain. He says, go and tell you, rain is coming. As believers, we can and we should expect that if we are truly surrounded by a healthy Christian body, then we should be a people carried by prophecy. Such that you're going into the air and you know people have said words to you that this and this are the things you should expect. God, in your own personal prayer time, you should have received instructions. These and these are the things that God will do through you. God is preparing you for in the year ahead. In the year ahead. Such that when the reality hits, you're able to say, oh, God has prepared me for this moment. So you see Paul on the ship and an angel comes and says, don't worry. He says, you will not die. Nobody on the ship will die. And it doesn't matter the wave. It doesn't matter the storm. Words have gone ahead. Amen. The same thing. Paul is facing persecution and he says, I have many men in this city. Stay here. Words have gone ahead. And so Timothy is not an exception. In maybe prayer times, right? These are people that they constantly minister to the Lord, right? People have said words, Timothy. Oh, this is what God is going to do through you in Ephesus. These and these are the things you should expect. And Paul says, according to the prophecy, wage a good warfare. You already know what God has said. You already know what God has said. And I I love that quote that goes with this so much. He says, faith begins when the will of God is known. If you know God has said in 2023, this and this is what you should expect. It stirs up faith. So that regardless of what you see, the faith to hold on and to war and to see what God said come to fruition is there. But if you don't know, say, I don't know what 2020, who knows what tomorrow holds? Ki, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. The future is not ours to see. That's not a believer. Ki, Sarah, Sarah. <laughs> You are many things, Kisera, but you are not saved. <laughs> so, no. No. Whatever will be, will not be. <laughs> we can trust God to know what to, what to, what to, what to expect. Say we are not, well, there's a sense of it. But we can trust God to know what to expect. And we can war with prophecy. We can war with prophecy. We can war with prophecy. Amen. 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 And he goes on. He says, having faith, having, not having, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. 
So it says, wage a good warfare, having faith and a good conscience. What is faith? What have people suffered shipwreck concerning the faith? Of course, if you've been following this study, it simply refers to what? The doctrine of Christianity. The doctrine of Christianity. When you see faith in the New Testament, sometimes it might apply to, oh, the faith for salvation. But many times, especially when you see the word, the faith. Keep the faith. Hold fast the faith. Where Paul says, I have run the grace, I have kept the faith. Hold the fact, the pattern you've heard of me in faith. He's talking about the message, the teachings that you believe. And so if someone asks you, oh, are you a Christian? What is your faith? They are asking you for a statement of what you believe to be true. What you believe to be true. We talked about this in 1 Corinthians 15. Christianity is a message to be believed. As much as it is a person to be encountered, it's a message. It is taught. It says the same, it says, I pass on to you that which I also received. By which you are saved. If you hold fast what I preach to you, it's a message. It's a message. And so what he is saying is having faith and a good conscience, preserve the message of Christ in a good conscience. He says, which some have rejected. Concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. So what does that mean? It simply means that they have swayed, they've swayed into false doctrines. These are people that as far as the message of Christ is concerned, they believe something else. Oh, maybe Jesus is not God. Oh, maybe this, some weird teaching. Maybe the resurrection is not really literal, right? It says concerning the faith. That's the body of Christian truths that we find from Jesus and the, and the apostles as revealed in his word. They have believed something else. And it says, of whom are Himenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Again, we've seen this before, right? This is not the first time we're seeing things like, deliver unto Satan so that something positive would happen. In 1 Corinthians 5 verse 5, the guy that was sleeping with his father's wife, <laughs> with his father's wife, and was proud about it. He says, deliver such a person to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of Jesus. And I, we talked about that, and you can listen to that teaching, that while there are many interpretations, um, some believe that the apostles had some form of apostolic authority to literally deliver a person to Satan. I lean more towards the more practical interpretation that this is referring to excommunication, right? Like literally, I am we, we, we as a church no longer identify with you. And in that sense, we've delivered you, we've handed you over to the world outside the church. We've been kicked out of Eden in a sense, but let's not go to Genesis. But yes, um, <laughs> it says... I have delivered them unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. And like we've talked about time and time again, wherever you see excommunication or such harsh words being said, it is first and foremost an act of love. We talked about it in 2 Thessalonians. The goal is not, ah, these people are teaching heresy, kick them out, <laughs> kick them out. We don't want to have anything to do. No, it's, it's a sense in which, like Timothy and Paul in Thessalonica would say, it says, admonish him as a brother that ah, with these teachings you are going to corrupt our church you are going to affect the faith of others we can't associate with you and we implore you come back to truth and we would welcome you if you hold on to these false teachings we'll regard you as an unbeliever that's what he's saying that's what he's saying we see things like that 
um there's if you read about if you read church history you're fascinated by okay I'll, I'll talk about that thank you or if you're fascinated by by church history um arius writes in the council of Nicaea was jesus fully god was he created and they they had a theological retreat <laughs> and at the end of the retreat, i think only two people were on the other side and about 300 or something and, and unanimously is like no arius this is not the teaching of god jesus is fully god fully man and he was labeled the heretic and kicked out of the church right that is that is the exact same thing that paul is talking about here that paul as a leader these are people in the church perhaps they were also leaders as well because for them to be kicked out they probably had some form of influence and he's saying that what they are teaching is not the message of christ and so we do not recognize you as part of us change and we'll welcome you back in and it, it it then goes to show how important how important the integrity of doctrine especially as pertaining to the essential ah we are not a people that just for whatever reason say ah you don't be harsh now jesus is god is a god of love say are you hearing what this person says say, no no it doesn't matter it doesn't matter there are things that we can gloss over as it were and still hold hands and say oh i i receive you as a brother in christ as a sister in christ oh you believe women should cover their hair when they pray i don't really see that that's the case in scripture but that's fine you love god you believe in his work and we're brothers oh i believe this and this and this oh i don't really believe that you love god you believe in his message in his identity and in the christian work no Allah, we, we can keep addressing this this issue but the moment it borders on on what we call the faith that body of message that identifies us as believers about the holy spirit about the, the death of Jesus, about his resurrection, about the glorification that is to come. Ah, I don't consider you a brother. That's how harsh Paul is saying. He's saying that I've believed that they may learn not to, but he says, don't associate with them. We've talked about this in Thessalonica, in Thessalonians. I'm speaking as if we were there. <laughs> he says, no, as far as this one is concerned, they have suffered shipwreck. They have suffered shipwreck. They have suffered shipwreck. They have suffered shipwreck. And so, in uh, so, Dami, you are saying, what does the first faith in verse 19 um, uh, refer to? So, like we read again, I said, this charge, <clears throat> this charge I commit you, my son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare having faith and a good conscience which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck and so what he's saying is that concerning the faith some have rejected but that is what you should hold on to i believe that is referring to what we just talked about right holding holding the message of christianity holding the message of christianity with good conscience so it's i believe it's the same faith because it's the faith and the good conscience that people have rejected right so i hope that that helps um all right so that is what paul is i mean the first chapter of timothy very strong introduction that is what paul is saying hold fast to sound doctrine i paul chief among sinners god saved me i have become a pattern that everyone else can be saved everyone else can be saved 
God faithfully committed me to ministry. Now I am charging you. Carry on this work. And so we go on to chapter 2. I remember someone was telling me when I sent the introduction that how will I finish a chapter and start another one in one teaching? Is that possible? Yes, it is possible. And this shall be a sign. <laughs> All right, 1 Timothy 2 verse 1. Uh, it says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For many of you, you have used this verse to pray. They have, they have said, we shall now be rising up to pray. I'll be reading from 1 Timothy 1 verse 2, 2 verse 1. Therefore I exhort, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Highlight that word in your Bible, first of all. I love it. Paul is about to give instructions as pertaining to how the body of Christ should respond. How worship should be done. And he says, first of all, not necessarily first in the order of program, <laughs> but as primary concern, as most important, pray for everyone. Pray for everyone. Pray for everyone. He says, for all men, and we're going to get back to that. Let's just read on. We're going to get back to all men. But says, pray for them. Intercede. Give thanks for them. Make supplications. Make prayers for them. It is the church's responsibility to pray for all. For those in the community, for people outside the community. I was reading the biography of, of, of Charles Finney again. Um, that was December. And in, in his revivals or in his patterns for meetings, the church starts praying. They get into, he, he'll send a few people, they'll get into the city like a couple weeks before he comes. They'll ask around, what are the names of the most notorious sinners in this place? Write it on a list and just start praying. And just start praying. Even he himself, before he got saved, he was actually a member of the choir. He wasn't even saved yet. And his church, in their prayer meetings, they were praying for him. To the point where one of the pastors said, I don't believe this guy can be saved. You know, like Calvinism and all that. I don't think he's elect. Let's, let's stop praying for him. But the church was praying for him. That brother Fini, God, save him. Save him. And it's something to challenge ourselves. When last did you pray for all men? Did you pray for the salvation? Did you intercede for the life of that co-worker? Of that sibling, of that relative. When last did you give thanks for your for for your saved friends? When last did you join in supplication and prayer for the needs of people around you? That is one of the biggest responsibilities as a church today. That we are people that through prayer and still allow the will of God to be done. That's what prayer does. It gives expression to the will of God. And so it says, I exhort, I charge the church of God. First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks, be made for all men. It says in verse 2 more specifically, for kings, for those in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And just from looking at that text, it shows <laughs> that what? It matters who is in leadership. And it's something you should pray about. You look at just look at history and it, it's clear that it matters for the spread of the gospel who is in leadership you look at pharaoh and it's like ah who did we offend 
who have we offended that we are suffering like this you look at you look at um, the book of first kings or second kings and it says this one was worse than this and all of a sudden things are bad for israel this one was worse than this all of a sudden things are bad and then someone comes and say, ah, this one was good and the things are better it matters who is in leadership even the early church we talk about people like emperor new who in his time <laughs> they say ah, this is if you were wondering who the antichrist was say, this is this is this man <laughs> he burned christians alive he blamed them for all sorts of atrocities this person was he had a vendetta against the spread of the gospel same thing when the church even started paul was one of such people in leadership who got authority to persecute i mean there are places in the world right now you dare not bring a bible they will seize it why authority there are places in this world you must not evangelize in public if not the zeal of the lord will actually consume you <laughs> you must not you must not there are places in this world that if if is the jesus, jesus that's the end that's the end that's the end why authority many of us were in countries where we can see say ah today i'm going out for evangelism a friend of mine invite descent and invite today oh let's go out for evangelism today. i say oh, wow we can still we can still publicly share flyers or oh, this one you can you can share on your ig hey Church on Sunday was a great time. <laughs> you don't know the privileges you are enjoying. Right? You can still wear get shirts um, online. I uh, what's, what's the word? <laughs> I belong to Jesus. So we wear it proudly on your... There are places in the world you dare not. I belong to Jesus. Really? On your shirts. <laughs> they will show you. They will really teach you a lesson. And it just, it just goes to show... It just goes to show that it's, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm wearing Jesus <laughs> that it matters who is in authority for the sake of the gospel. It matters who is in authority. It matters who is in authority. Yes, we can talk about how there were maybe abuses. Let's say when uh, Constantine of of uh, of Rome became the emperor and made Christianity the official religion. But at least one thing we know was that it was now a peaceful time. If you were a Christian, finally there was peace. There was no persecution. There was no persecution. The message traveled faster than before because someone in authority was able to use their influence for the gospel. And so, that's why Paul is saying, pray for people in authority. Why? So that we will lead a quiet life. They will not disturb us. We can gather when we want. We can pray when we want. We won't hide when we want. I'm sorry, we won't hide when we want to gather. We can evangelize as we should. We can be at peace. We can actually live in peace. He says that this is good and acceptable in the sight of God who desires all men, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth that is why we pray for them that is why we pray for kings and for those in authority why because we know the will of god remember i said faith begins when the will of god is known i know god wants all men saved therefore i can pray for all men i know god wants all men saved 
Therefore, I can pray for kings and for those in authority. But in verse 4, we, we start to see an interesting dynamic between the will of God and the will of man. Because on one hand, it's very clear. God's will is what? That all men should be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The question then is, do we see all men saved? The answer is no. We don't see all men saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The follow-up question, is it that God did not will it enough? Of course not. Of course not. We, we should take scriptures as clearly as it is that God does indeed want all men saved. But what this teaches us, because what that means is that people have rejected the gospel. There are people that God wanted saved, but they didn't want to be saved. And God said, be it unto you according to your word <laughs> or according to your will. And it starts to teach us an interesting dynamic in the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. I'm not going to talk at length about it. I've been begging you guys since 2021 to please be patient with me. And I thank you that some of you have been patient. Many of you, if not all of you, have been patient. We will get there this year. This year we'll do it. Even if it's three teachings. Well, we have four hours every Saturday when that time comes. Um, but it teaches us that there are things that God may propose. God may will. But if it would have to superimpose on our will, then we need to cooperate. We need to respond. And yes, God's providence shines through. God uses all those interesting dynamics to still achieve his overarching purpose. But the truth remains. Our choices and actions, they are real and they have consequences. They are real and they have consequences. Think about it. If Moses did not resist as much, Aaron would never have been called. Think about that. <laughs> Do you ever think like, Aaron would not, yes, he would have supported his brother maybe the same way Miriam did, but he won't have been called to be spokesman. Have you thought about that? <laughs> Literally, because Moses said, I can't, I can't, I can't. He said, fine, Aaron will go with you. The same thing, it goes to show that even in our own life, God's will for your life is health. Yes, we know that. We see the promise in eternity. No sickness, no death. But you have decided that I will only eat granots every day. <laughs> you have decided that there's so much to be done that the Son of Man must not get more than two hours of sleep. And you say, God's plan for my life is divine health. And God's like, Lurio, <laughs> you will fall sick. My dear brother, my dear sister, you will fall sick. <laughs> let, let it be said now. Let it be said now. Or you say, oh, God desires that my needs are met. <laughs> but yet, you are not studying hard. You are not applying to jobs. You are just praying. You say, as I pray and give myself to the revelation of God, I see the word made alive. <laughs> you will die in poverty. <laughs> Honestly, because Job, you say, as I was just praying, an interviewer just called me and said, I heard your name loud in my spirit. Are you looking for a job? And says, yes. It says, pick a job. Just pick anyone. You say, wow, the word works. Prayer works. Is a lie. That's not how it happens. That is not, even Paul 
had to take hammer and nails and be making tents so that he would have something to eat. Paul would say, if you do not work, you will not eat. Is God's plan to bless you financially? Yes. But the little, the little money you have gotten from yourself, it says now we have, my dear, I was equally surprised. <laughs> the little money you are getting, no budget, no savings, no investment. You say, I, is my money, it's not your money, yo. don't lie. <laughs> don't lie. <laughs> don't lie. It's not your money. Yo. <laughs> God's will <laughs> partners many times with our actions and our choices. And so God's will is that you walk in good health. My dear, rest well. Eat well. Have an active life. At least, at least take a walk. At least. Or have you not read like Jesus would say? Jesus would say, God forbid it. Have you not read like Jesus would say that sitting down for eight hours consecutive every day is a leading cause of untimely death? Have you not read? Know ye not the scriptures? Stand up. Get up. You have been on this desk for too long. Stand up. <laughs> have you not read? That if you do not have a financial plan, you will end up in ruin. My dear, save. Invest. <laughs> Learn about these things. Be a good steward of your money. It's not every time you are buying shawarma. It's not every time. It's not every time. It says there's a time to buy and there's a time to save. Amen. Say God's plan for my life. <laughs> God's plan for my life is that I will be happily married with kids. <laughs> I would I'm tempted to drag but the Lord is says I put myself under subjection I put myself under subjection he says have you have you talked to anyone in the last one year he says, ah, apart from my friends no don't worry God will create from your rib bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh where you least expect it. <laughs> oh, say, the angels of you will bring divine direction. Divine direction. We say, oh, ah, uh, there's this game night. We're going to meet friends. Say, ah, no, 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 no. I'm not interested. I'm here to pray. Oh Lord, where is he? Is at that game night you didn't go to. That's that's actually where he is. That's where he is. You just did not go. <laughs> you did not go. <laughs> you did not go. So, what is my point? I've joked a bit, but I'm also serious, right? Christians have this tendency to want to leave it, Jesus, take the wheel, just leave it for God. God is in control, but he will just, he will just be walking. And all I have to do is say, all I did was stay still. All I did was lie down. <laughs> Not so. Not so. Not so. God wants all men saved. But God expects that when the gospel is preached, people respond. God wants to keep you in health, at least for the most part, as far as life on this earth is concerned. Be a good steward of you. You can, by your choices, hinder or, or revoke, as it were, God's plans for your life. Our choices and actions have real consequences. They have real consequences. And so you should be aware that are there things I'm doing that are hindering God's plan for my life? 
other things I'm doing or other things I'm not doing. Salvation is one. I believe almost pretty much everyone here is saved. Maybe ministry. God wants to, God has been, you have not read any book. You have not prepared. You have not talked to anybody. I know now. It's not like that. It's not like that. You should and you can by your choices partner with the will of God. Partner with the will of God. Are there things I'm doing? I, I, I know God's plan for this. God's, are there things I'm doing that are in one way or the other hindering this? Hindering this? Hindering this? But back to the text. So like I said, God wants all men saved and that's why we pray. That's why we pray. That's why we pray. So yes, God honors free will, but our prayers can also do a lot. Our prayers can do a lot. Our prayers can do a lot. Because some of you might be asking, ah, so if everything you're saying is true, then what am I praying for? Is it not just to preach and whatever happens, happens, right? This is, at the end of the day, it's their will. But prayer, what prayer does, it positions people to be more receptive. Prayer aligns us with the will of God. As far as unbelievers are concerned, it places them in positions where they are more receptive. Are there exa- I'm sure some of you can relate to Let's say you, someone was on your heart, you prayed for them. And then the next time you guys met, you were not even the one that probably brought it up. And something just happened, the conversation entered Christ. And it was just a lot easier. Prayer prepares their hearts. We live in a world where the devil is actively fighting against the salvation of people. Whether through distractions, such that they are not able to think on these things. Whether through challenges, whether through pleasure, whether through business, whether through success, whether through failure. However it is, the God of this world is constantly, 24-7, blinding the hearts of people to the gospel. Prayer addresses oppositions in the mind. We can, through prayer, fight even... um, fight against what the devil is doing in the hearts of people. We can, through prayer, position them to be more receptive such that every hindrance to the gospel, we've addressed it. And at the end of the day, it's, are you going to believe or not? That's why we pray for people. That's why we pray for people. That's why we pray for people. And I want to challenge you, if you've not made a practice of praying for the salvation of people, I beg you, for their sakes, Start to do so. Right, have a list of people that you want to see saved regularly. As let's say, put it somewhere in your house. See, anytime I look at this, even if it's five, I would say a word of prayer for them that something will just happen, that the gospel will reach these ones in clarity and truth, that their hearts will be receptive. Their hearts will be receptive. Amen. And just to address the whole, God wants all men saved. Some people have argued that all men does not mean all men. It means all kinds of men. So if I say I want all fishes or all fish to be what? I don't know. It means I'm saying whales, dolphin, whales are not fish. <laughs> say, eh? They're not? <laughs> Sharks, uh, salmon, goatee, titus. <laughs> Sooner. That's what they, that's what some people interpret. So when you say all men, oh, people from every race, people from like all kinds of men. I want kings, I want this, I want Australians, I want Nigerians. And that it doesn't actually mean all people, that God doesn't really want everyone 
to be saved. He only wants people from every people group. And just one simple rule of Bible interpretation is that if the obvious interpretation of a text makes sense, there's no reason to start looking for something else. There's no reason to start looking for something else. There's no reason to start looking for something else. God wants all saved. Not only that, he gave himself as a ransom for all. Jesus died for everyone and so we can pray for everyone to be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes, whoever believes, salvation is not exclusive to a certain group of people that God sovereignly chose. That is not true. That is not the doctrine of Christ. We'll get to that in Romans 9. But let's just let's just go on. But it says he wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I'm just using style to look at the time. It says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus. I love this verse because it emphasizes the humanity of Christ. There's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus. We, t- we looked at that in Hebrews 2.17, that if God was to save us, then he had to become in every respect like us. Hebrews 2.17. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful, and I explained that word, merciful and faithful. Merciful because he has been tried like us. Faithful, he can be trusted because he excelled in all things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of people. And so, as far as mediation is concerned, it's important that Jesus was a man. If Jesus was a, it was not a man, his death cannot save us. If Jesus was not a man, we can't identify with what he did. And that's why I said, he says he was not an angel. He came in every regard like us, such that now having defeated, we can, by faith, cling to his sacrifice. And so it's very important. The humanity of Jesus is a big deal. If you can't remember, or if, you've, if you're new, please listen to Hebrews. It's a big deal. It's a very big deal. Jesus was and is a man. In case you're not aware, Hebrews 2.17. Hebrews 2.17. Hebrews 2.17. But please listen to Journey Through Hebrews. It would solidify this concept. Right? Jesus is a man and he is also divine. His humanity was necessary such that his work would apply to us. His divinity was necessary such that we can become like him. Amen. But he goes on and says he gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time of which I am a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth and not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And so he's saying it that he gave himself for everyone. And in due time, meaning now, right? It's the same thing we see that, oh, when we're without strength, in due time, Romans 5 verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. Galatians 4 verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That God has given Jesus as a sacrifice. And the whole point of all these verses in summary is very simple. God has gone to great lengths to save everyone. Please pray for their salvation. Please pray for their salvation. 
pray for kings, pray for authorities, so that we would be able to live lives where we can also share this message in peace. So remember, these are instructions for a church. And that's why it says, of paramount importance is prayers. At least you, you're saved. You're, like, think about it. Why are you still on earth after you have believed the gospel? Life will be infinitely way easier if you, as soon as you say, I believe, boom, <laughs> you just, you just drop and you go be with the Lord. Why are you still here? The major reason you are still here is because there are people that have not believed. Honestly, like on a scale of priority, the, the, the first reason Christians are still here is because there are still people to be saved. And if that's the case, then it means that our, our services, our interactions and our activities as a church should reflect that. I was thinking on that yesterday while we were praying and I'm like, ideally we should perhaps have more evangelical outreaches than we do. Maybe to a point where if we worship once a week, we should evangelize twice a week. If we learn the word once a week, we should evangelize twice a week. Because that is our first responsibility as a church. It's evangelism. It's getting people saved. Everything else will continue into eternity. Worship, is it worship meeting? You like worship, you will. We do worship meeting tire in heaven. You like you like learning the word of God. You you are so in awe with the revelation of God through His word. You will see the revelation of God like never before after death. JTT will not compare to what will happen when you see Him face to face. Is it fellowship? I I I love this family of God. Your fellowship will be so much better in the world to come. The one thing that as a church we're not going to carry out of this world is evangelism. And it should be reflected more in our program. We should have more, more activities, more intentional activities. If we can, if we say, oh, we have times of prayer as a church, we have times of worship, we have times of Bible study, we should have multiple, in my opinion, perhaps more times of evangelism as a church because that is our first responsibility on this earth is to get people saved. We should have longer sessions where we are praying for men. Just praying for souls. Beyond our needs, just praying for souls. That's why it says, first of all, first of importance. Because God gave himself. God desires all men saved. And he gave his son Jesus as a ransom for all. So important. So important. I think on that note, I will just bring today's teaching to a close. I was about to start from verse 8, but verse 8 starts to address gender dynamics in the church. So, come next week, we're going to talk about from verses 8 to 15, perhaps one of the most difficult passages you've read. What do you mean, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority? Paul, 1 Timothy 2 verse 12. I don't get it. <laughs> am I doing it wrong? Or am I just to... What does it mean she will be saved in childbearing? I don't understand. It sounds so misogynistic. <laughs> or I was ready to drag people today in 1 Timothy 9 and 10. But I'll save that for next week as well. So I think we'll pause here because I don't want, I, would, I want to try to make sure I end the teaching and respect people's time. Next week, we're going to start by exploring what Paul expected men to do in the church, what Paul expected women to do in the church. 
and what that looks like for us today. What does that look like for us today? And then we would, of course, take it into chapter 3. I hope you've been blessed today. I hope you've been reminded or you've learned um, a thing or two. Uh, Any questions? Any questions? Any questions? Any questions? Go ahead, Dami. Yeah, thank you very much for the teaching. Um, I think it's First Timothy two one. Like it starts with a therefore. And I was wondering, um, like since like ch- um the chapters and verses were like a man's creation, like that links directly to the previous verse, like about faith, um, faith, and that's why we pray. Like there's a connection between that. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I see. So. On one hand, very good observation. Like many of you have started to be at JTT for a while. So that's good. I appreciate that. Um, 1 Timothy 2 starts off from what he said in 1 Timothy 1. But what is the therefore? What is the therefore? But what is therefore, therefore? It's it's following what he has said in chapter 1 about giving him instructions from which he should. He should correct the church so i get what you're saying dami that is the therefore talking about uh um the last few verses of first timothy one such that timothy hold fast the faith there are some that have left the faith and he's now saying therefore i pray for all men i believe not necessarily it's more referring to first timothy one verse 18 in particular as well as the things that he has talked about in in uh in i'm trying to find the verse yes in verse three downward so first timothy one in summary is that beware of false teachers hold fast to 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 the message of christianity right that's the summary hold fast to the message of christianity hold fast to the message of christianity wage a good warfare and enforce this therefore i exhort therefore i exalt and so he's pretty much giving a template he's like this is what i want you to go do in ephesus therefore this is what we should see men should do this women should do this everyone should do this verse um, chapter three if you want to choose a deacon this is what we should look for if you want to choose an elder this is what we should we should look for right so he's he's starting to go into a more practical explanation of what Timothy, what waging a good warfare looks like, or what Timothy is expected to do in the church. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Great question. Very good question. Very good question. Um, any other questions? I'm very glad to hear this wrote to me. I believe it's your first time as well. You're very welcome. Any other questions? Um, I have a question. Please go ahead, Tess. Wait, so the waging of warfare, it doesn't have anything to do with praying. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, because I don't know. Maybe that's the problem of not reading your Bible yourself. <laughs> I always just hear it. I'm, so I'm asking not to clarify. Mm. So the warfare means like fighting basically with actions. With what you know, I don't know. 
very good question. Very good question. Actually, I love that question. Um, following today's teaching, you can put it in the comments. Everyone is open to everyone. What does waging a good warfare mean? What does waging a good warfare mean? Ah, nobody's trying. <laughs> hmm, that's a bit vague. Like specifically to Timothy, what does Paul mean when he says wage a good warfare? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Any other, any other, yeah. Hmm. Okay, preserving the integrity of the gospel to fight. All right, so let's, let's read it. Yes, um, yes, fighting wrong doctrine, preserving. So it says what? Verse 18, this charge I commit to you according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. It's literally the same thing. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. He's speaking to a minister that is about to, that is currently establishing truth. So clearly, waging a good warfare is like what many of us have said, actually, and it's it's a combination of many of those things. It is to hold fast to the faith. It is to hold fast to the message and to ensure that over his jurisdiction, what he has done in his personal life is the same thing that is done corporately in that church. So for Timothy, Waging a good warfare would be ensuring that his doctrinal integrity is preserved and he is able to enforce that same doctrinal. And by doctrinal, I don't just mean Bible study. When we think doctrinal, we think Bible study. I mean, literally the next chapter starts to talk about doctrinal integrity and it's about prayer, right? That the pattern of Christianity, what we believe and how it reflects in our actions, Timothy, hold fast to it and ensure that everyone in Ephesus does the same thing. So who is he fighting against? He's fighting against false teachers. He's fighting against largely false teachers and teachings because it is every, every, um, well, okay. For the most part, every wrong action in a church stems from wrong teachings. We talked about that at length in 1 Corinthians, which is why every time the church was misbehaving, Paul's correction would always be, do you not know? If you remembered this teaching, you would not be acting this way. And so waging the good warfare is holding fast the wholesome message of Christ and ensuring that those people that God has placed under your care, in this context, right, do the same as well. There may be other waging good warfare, and there may be instances where Fight in the good fight specifically refers to prayer, right? But First Timothy one eighteen is more wholesome than that. So great question to your see and great answers, guys. Does this answer your question? Toyosi, does this answer your question? 
I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. All right. I'm at work, so oh, I think okay. it's Awesome. Awesome. That's fine. Thank you. You're welcome. Any other questions? Any other questions? All right. It seems there are no more questions. We'll pray, take our benediction, and I'll see you next week, same time, as we try to understand what men and women are supposed to be doing in the church, in public worship, at least. Uh, Dear Lord, thank you so much for today's teaching. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these messages passed down from generation to generation. I thank you for your grace that has enabled us and called us even to this work, whatever that looks like for many of us. I thank you for the gospel that we have believed. And I pray that for every single one of us, we are able to indeed wage a good warfare I pray that we leave here today with a strong concern about the souls of men and that we do all in our power to contribute to the salvation of lives around us. I pray for even the body of Christ that we we grow even in that sense of urgency and that we place as paramount the salvation of our communities, of our cities, of our nations. I pray that for every single one of us, that areas where our choices, our lifestyle, our actions are hindering your plans, I pray that there is revelation and there is grace to make amendments. And I pray that we are preserved even till the next time we we meet. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. All right, I would share my screen now. Feel free to unmute yourselves. Um, as we take the benediction so graciously prepared to us. I will always add that by Bricky and Ayo. All right. So I'm sure we can see my screen. Let's read together. One, two, go. I am a diligent student and doer of the word. I am a teacher of the word. The word is profitable for my growth. By the word, I am corrected. By the word, I am trained in righteousness. And in the word, my spirit rejoices. Glory to God. Awesome. Have a great weekend and a great week ahead. I will see you guys same time same link next week uh feel free to share if this blessed you and uh invite your friends and enemies <laughs> i'll see you all next week love you all bye bye thank, thank you, you.